last 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside our two-bedroom apartment in downtown Baltimore, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you as always on perhaps the greatest day in the baseball calendar. Pitchers and catchers are reporting today to Sarasota, Florida, the Ed Smith Stadium Complex. One of the best days, I think, in the entire sports calendar, personally. I think first day of wow. March Madness is a big day. Uh-huh. I think Super Bowl Sunday, obviously, is a big day. Right. I think this is right up there. You would rank this above opening day for Major League Baseball? Opening day is up there, too. I think I would have opening day above. Yeah, I would, too. Reporting. All right, but this is... Maybe, maybe I'm underselling pitchers and catchers, but... I, I mean, know. you have more to watch and do on opening day, and it's this is true, know, exciting. But this is the first start of spring. Despite what the groundhog Punxsutawney Phil might have said, this is essentially the beginning of spring, the very first day. Sure, except they go down to like the warmest place possible because it's not spring anywhere else yet. That's yeah, that's but it's called literally called spring training. Break. This is true. Uh, I can't argue with that fact. No, it, you can't. It, we are not there, obviously, as evidenced by our uh, messy kitchen. Thanks to Karen or whoever it was that commented that last time. Um, also, somebody in our comments last time said that they could land a <laughs> land a plane on the back of my laptop because it's oh a, yes, that is a comically PC. large laptop. Yeah. It's also comically close to the camera, so perspective kind of makes it. That yeah. way, we're, we're live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter in case you're not watching and you're just listening. Go ahead and watch next time. We usually do these podcasts on Tuesdays, and this one time it worked out because today is the day that pitchers and catchers report to Sarasota. We will not get a whole lot of information today, a whole a lot of pictures or videos today. Probably the most exciting B-roll that might come out of today from the Orioles side is players walking in in street clothes, giving peace signs to the camera. That's about all we're going to get from today, most likely. But first workout is tomorrow for pitchers and catchers. First workout for the entire team, I believe, is Monday, early next week. The whole crew is coming together. 73 players currently listed as uh, invitees to spring training between guys who are on the 40-man roster. uh, And then you have the reserves, camp reserves, and the non-roster invitees. The gang is coming together, Brendan, and the quest for the Commissioner's Trophy begins today. Yeah, and it's fun, too, especially with the Orioles, because you have so many guys that are invited to spring training who you probably won't see in the big leagues for a few years, but they're some of the top prospects that hopefully you'll see soon. Of course, notably Adley Rutschman, Gunnar Henderson, guys like that. A lot of the top prospects that we can see at spring training even though they won't be with the Orioles for a while. It's still fun to see them with the team, working out, all that good stuff. And I know that when the list of camp reserves and non-roster invitees came out Friday, there were some questions about some of the names that were not on that list, particularly a lot of the top pitching prospects that are in the Orioles organization. 
And Mike Elias addressed that and said, basically, it was a weird season last year. Guys were in the fall instructional camp. Guys had time at the alternate site in Bowie. There are some things with travel, so some pitchers and players might not be able to get to camp on time. But they're also be incredibly wary about not giving guys too many innings, in particular with the pitchers. So making sure that they are not throwing them into the fire after such a short season last year, whether they actually played in games or they were at the alternate site or they were at home, that weird season and season without a full slate of minor league games kind of made it so that they want to make sure that they are ramping these pitchers back up slowly. So a lot of top pitching prospects are probably going to report to spring training late, maybe in mid-March. Some of them may just wait until the start of the minor league season, even though they may be deserving in a regular year of a spring training invite. But the organization wants to put their health and safety first and foremost and make sure they're not, you know, putting these guys at risk by throwing them right back into the fire after such a long layoff and such a strange season last year. Yeah, well, yeah. Worst case scenario is Grayson Rodriguez throws too much too soon. Yeah and then needs Tommy John. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the Orioles are not going to push it and have something like that happen. That's, that's by far worst-case scenario. Yeah, and, and um, it's, it's just not something that is necessary. You know, the spring training invites are fun, and it's cool to be able to see these guys up close and work with the major league team, but also it's secondary. You know, the, right. making sure that they can get through a full minor league season healthy um, and ready to go for you know, maybe a call up at some point this year or 2022 is is the biggest concern and priority at this point. But still, there were some exciting names on that list. Um, Heston Kerstad was on that list. We don't know exactly what went on with Heston Kerstad last year. I feel like we should touch on it briefly, Brendan. We yeah. saw, uh, because Mike Elias explained with the media that Heston Kerstad had cardiomyopathy, I believe is the correct term for that. It was something that sounded complicated in that I was <laughs> yeah. not an expert in. Essentially, uh, quick Google search will tell you it's an inflammation of the heart muscle. Uh, Heston has not spoken with the media since pretty much since the kind of media tour he went on shortly after he was drafted last year. Uh, so we are eager to hear from him. He will arrive to camp a little bit later, but he will be at spring training camp, and we will at some point get to hear from him just hoping that he is fully healthy at some point. We don't know exactly what to expect from him this spring or even when the minor league season gets going. Uh, we just hope that he is fully healthy because this kid still has the potential of a top two, top five pick uh, that, of course, he was taken with by the Orioles in the last June's draft. Yeah, and I'm sure Michael Elias and the Orioles are taking an abundance of caution with Heston Kerstad, because it probably goes without saying, but you don't mess with heart issues when, yeah, yeah. you know, you're this young and you're a prospect in the system at this point. That's just not something that you want to rush back, obviously. So Heston Kerstad will take his time, and hopefully he'll be back at spring training at some point. Michael Elias said he was arriving late, like you said. So hopefully we'll see him maybe in a few weeks, but we're not exactly sure. But obviously we wish him a speedy recovery and, and hoping that everything turns out okay. Absolutely. We are going to get into in a little bit our top spring training storylines, things that we are looking forward to the most and looking forward to covering the most once spring training officially gets underway and it's not just guys dropping off their bags at their locker. Uh, but first, let's talk about a major addition. Not major in terms of contract, minor a league major contract. minor league addition. Yeah, yeah, major minor league. Felix Hernandez fit into that category last week, and now we have another guy who is uh, not a Cy Young winner, 
finished in the top five for the Cy Young voting at one point in his career. One of the bigger names in baseballs of the early 2010s, Matt Harvey. Yeah. Not official yet, but inking from what we've heard, according to all reports, still waiting a physical, but inking a minor league deal with the Baltimore Orioles. Well, it's kind of funny looking at his stats, the reputation that Matt Harvey has. Like everybody thinks of Matt Harvey as this stud pitcher and they thought of him kind of in a similar way to Felix Hernandez didn't have close to the run of dominance that somebody like Felix Hernandez had but he was still really good for a brief period of time from 2012 to 2015 he had an ERA just over 2.5 he obviously helped the Mets on that World Series run so he was really good for a while and then he had surgery missed the entire what was it 2014 season Missed the entire 2014 season and then wasn't really the same pitcher when he came back. But this is fun. I mean, we we talked about this. The fact that the Orioles are signing Felix Hernandez and Matt Harvey, they're not taking huge risks on them. I mean, they're not pulling an Angels and signing Matt Harvey to an $11 million contract like they did before the 2019 season. But the Orioles are taking chances on guys who are at one point one of the most dominant pitchers in all of Major League Baseball and hoping that they can even get somewhere remotely close to the pitcher that they once were. And then if they do, then it works out really well for the Orioles. And if it doesn't, they waste a minor league contract. Are, is, is the Angels the team that we dunk on the most repeatedly? I think podcast? they have to be. They, it is kind of getting weird, the number of crosso- players that cross over between the Angels and Orioles organization over the past few years. Yeah, I mean, Matt Harvey had a pretty good 2018 Pretty good, not really by his standards. He had a 4.94 ERA. It was respectable, and it looked like maybe there was a glimpse of the old Matt Harvey in that season. So the Angels decided, hey, let's give this guy an $11 million contract, <laughs> yeah. which he did not live up to. Yeah. Well, you you mentioned the, the great Matt Harvey. Right. Well, let's just kind of talk about initially where he started. Let's go back to the very beginning and talk about his stretch of dominance with the New York Mets. It was a very brief stretch. Yes. It was 2012, 2013. He had the injury, the Tommy John that you mentioned in 2014, came back in 2015 and was still very good. At that point, he was averaging almost 10 strikeouts per nine over that stretch, about half a home run per game. He was keeping the ball in the ballpark. Of course, didn't burst onto the scene, but certainly increased the legend of the Dark Knight by that dominant postseason run when the Mets made it all the way to the World Series. Uh, in Game 5 uh, at City Field, went into the ninth inning when he probably shouldn't have and had his pitch count go well over 110 in a dominant outing um, that they ended up losing that World Series to the Royals, but he was coming back from injury. He was showing his toughness. It was looked like this guy was going to be a Cy Young contender for maybe the next decade. At that point, he was still in his, what, 26, age 26, well, yeah. 27 season. Well, that was the thing with Matt Harvey. It wasn't like he burst onto the scene as some 25-year-old who had been in the minors for a few years. When he came out and was dominant, I mean, his first year where he was really good, he made 10 starts, he had an ERA of 2.73. He was 23 years old. Yeah. So this was a kid who came right out of the gate and was pitching really, really well. I mean, his ERA was fantastic. Like I said, a two five three over those three years. He had nine and a half strikeouts per nine. Yeah. Over that time, he had 449 strikeouts and 94 walks. Yeah, he was dominant. That's ridiculous. He was dominant. It was uh, blistering fastball and some good off-speed pitches. 
He had the Tommy John that sapped him a little bit of uh, his fastball velocity. Right. Um, and then really things started to fall apart uh, in the 2016 season. He had thoracic outlet syndrome, which is not a good injury for any kind of athlete. That sounds complicated. It is a shoulder injury um, that essentially, like, the the nerves are in the wrong place. And if you have the the surgery, Brendan, they remove part of your rib. Sometimes in Ow. cases, your entire rib from that part. Ow. And now, you know, we were talking about last week, Richie Martin getting his hamate bone removed. And surgeries are weird. This surgeries why, are weird. This but is why we didn't go to medical. If school. you can live without a rib near your shoulder and you can live without your hamate bone, I looked up some of the other organs you can live without. Obviously, your appendix falls into that category, Brendan. Sure. Do you know you can live without your spleen? I do now. Your gallbladder? Sure. I think I knew that, actually. I think, I think I've known people that have had gallbladder surgery. You can get that out. You can live without your colon, part of your colon. Well, Crazy. you thought you were going to be learning about Matt Harvey, and now organs you're learning you can about live organs you can live without. Um, some can live without their brains, even, Brendan. All right. Uh, but I'm... But I'm... Okay. Anyway, uh, the, the... You know, it was not a good surgery to have, and it's difficult to return from that kind of injury. Right. Things really start to fall apart at the end of his time with the Mets. Um, 2016, 17, 18. And then there were off-the-field concerns as well. There were kind of... Uh, talk about you know him maybe not reporting on time for certain games, him being out partying one time when they were in L.A. and he drove all the way to San Diego reportedly to party, and then there was you know New York media loves to jump on who he's dating. He's dating supermodels, and there was all that kind of off the field stuff. He gets traded in essentially a salary dump to the Reds. Kind of experiences a wakes up a little bit, experiences somewhat of a resurgence in the second half of, I believe, the 2018 season right. with the Reds. And then he signs that massive contract with the Angels. $11 million contract with the Angels, which was a massive swing and totally an a overpay. massive swing and a miss. And I think that was just a little Scott Boris special, essentially, that deal. It yeah. was a massive swing and a miss. It was a disaster. ERA over 7 and 12 games uh, was DFA'd by midseason. Really kind of learned none of the lessons that he had appeared to have learned when he was with Cincinnati in the second half of the 2018 season. Last year, he gets a deal with the Kansas City Royals. Didn't get a whole lot of run with them. Only 11 and two-thirds innings pitched in the 2020 season. ERA well over 11. Uh, so he is, to say he's on the backslide of his career, um, you know, I think is, is somewhat of an understatement. This guy is not anything near. It has been so many years since we have seen dominant Matt Harvey. It has now yes. been six years since we have seen very good Matt Harvey. But we know that there can be a very good Matt Harvey. And I think when the Orioles are signing these guys to these minor league deals, that's really all they're looking for at this point. Not necessarily how long ago was it, but the fact that it was in there and that teams have tape and video and scouting of him being very good and all they need to kind of reconfirm how good he was in order to trade for him or think convince themselves he can be a fit in their rotation is to look at that tape and to look at his 2021 tape and say I see some things here and there that actually made the translation and and stood the test of time well the difficult thing with Matt Harvey is that earlier on in his career he relied pretty heavily on his fastball. Yeah. He was a dominant four-seam fastball pitcher. Early on in his career, when he was 23, 24, he was chucking that fastball probably 97, 98. 
I mean, he could throw that thing hard. He could throw it for a lot of innings, and that is part of his dominance. He had that fastball that he threw probably 50% of the time, and then he would change it up with a slider and curveball, which were obviously much more effective because of how good that fastball was. And after a lot of the surgeries that Harvey had, his velocity and his fastball dipped, and it kind of seemed like he didn't really figure out how to be the same dominant pitcher without having his dominant go-to pitch, which was the four-seam fastball that he could throw in the upper 90s. Over the last few years, his fastball velocity isn't that bad. In 2020, he still threw a four-seam fastball 94 miles an hour. But the problem with that is that it's not as dominant as it was before, and he, like I said, just really hasn't figured out how to be as dominant with his other pitches. So he needs to find some combination of, okay, the fastball isn't as good as it used to be, and I need to work in those other pitches a little bit more in order to still be effective. It seemed like he was doing that a little bit in 2018, and it's not like his fastball is horrible now. He just needs to work up those other pitches a little bit in order to still be effective. Yeah, and I, I'm not a major league player. I, I haven't played past any kind of high school level or even in high school. Uh, but uh, from what I've heard, you know, the the difference between a 96-mile-an-hour fastball and a 94-mile-an-hour fastball may not seem like a lot to it's the outside, but it is a massive difference, especially when you try to throw that 94-mile-an-hour fastball like a 96-mile-an-hour yeah, fastball. Yeah, you, you cannot put it in the same place that you were putting 96, 97 yeah, and which, expect it to do the same thing. Which I think is what he was doing, according right. to to all reports. And and maybe that's a lesson he can hopefully learn, and that's what the Orioles um, are hoping he can do, but they're not banking on it. You know, they're not, they're not guaranteeing him a spot in the rotation all the same kind of things we applied to Felix Hernandez, the conditionals of if he can get back there, if he can learn how to throw his diminished velocity fastball, if he can improve um, his off-speed pitches and learn when to throw them more, um, apply to Matt Harvey here. Because if, yeah. if he can do that, he can make us find a spot in this rotation, and then teams just can look at that and say, all right, that's a glimpse of the old Matt Harvey. So it's it's taking a swing on somebody like this who has shown the ability to do it in the past, I think makes a whole lot more sense than taking a swing on somebody who has never done it in the first place. So you know, if you find if you are able to find somebody like off the scrap heap, like even Cole Stewart last year, um, or you know, I was throwing out the name Tyson Ross, who pitched for the San Francisco Giants recently. These guys who, you know, have maybe some ability underneath, but we've never seen it at a big league level. Uh, that's probably a little bit more of a risk because other te- it takes more convincing for other teams. You know, for the same thing as like Hanser Alberto, maybe part of the reason that he wasn't able to be traded by the Orioles at such a low salary is because they other teams only had that small sample size. It wasn't like he was great in his career, then fell off, then rediscovered it for a little bit. It was a small sample size, and they needed a lot of convincing. You probably need a little bit less convincing to trade a Matt Harvey or Felix Hernandez than you would to trade a Cole Stewart, even if the numbers are identical in the 2021 season. Well, it's almost a psychological thing with Felix Hernandez and Matt Harvey. I mean, you hear Felix and Matt Harvey, and you don't necessarily think of the decline right away. I mean, I know, at least for me personally, when I heard that the Orioles signed Felix Hernandez, in my head, I wasn't thinking about the fact that he's tailed off the last few years and all that. I was thinking about 2014 Felix Hernandez. Yeah, the conversation. Is Felix Hernandez a Hall of Famer? Yeah. And there you go. That is the thought that comes to mind. It's the dominant Felix Hernandez. And when you hear the name Matt Harvey, 
you don't necessarily think of the decline over the last few years. You think of the dominant pitcher that he was with the Mets. Yeah. And it's, like you said, other teams will probably look at both of those guys and see that they were once dominant in their careers and be more apt to trade for them. Yeah. But it's the same story with both of them. They are not as dominant with their specific pitches as they were before. And can they figure out a way to work without those dominant pitches? To still be somewhat effective, maybe not as effective as they were before, but still be effective pitchers without their stuff being as good as it once was. What would the Orioles get if this were 2012? And <laughs> they were yeah. to somehow acquire both Matt Harvey and Felix Hernandez, and you stick them into the rotation where that team is in the playoffs in 2012 and uh, 2014. Just imagine if you had those guys in your rotation. Yeah. I mean, they'd be the best team in baseball. They'd be a great team. The, the lineup was already fantastic, and then you add two that, of the better pitchers in baseball in Matt Harvey and Felix <laughs> Hernandez at the time. Yeah. I mean, why didn't they think of that? Yeah, I know. Why That's my question. Yeah, I mean, both those guys were so gettable back in 2012. Right. <laughs> uh, but at this point, we'll settle for the 2021 versions. Yes. Uh, we, we mentioned Felix Hernandez, Matt Harvey, Wade LeBlanc. Those three guys added to this team mm -hmm. on minor league deals within the past couple weeks. We have John Means, Dean Kramer, Keegan Aiken cemented in our minds at least. Brandon Hyde isn't really ready to write them down on pen uh, just yet. But in our minds, let's add those three guys to the top of the rotation. Then you have three more guys. Assuming the Orioles don't go with a six-man rotation, Brendan, who do you think of those three, do you think... Which two do you think have the best chance to make the rotation? Well, to preface, let me just say that I think there's still a chance that the Orioles sign a pitcher to a major league deal. Michael Elias said a week ago or a few weeks ago that there were definitely going to be some minor league signings and possibly a major league signings. There are still some names out there that could be fits and they would have to be major league signings. Somebody like Anibal Sanchez or Julio Tehran maybe. Those are two names that I thought of as possibilities for somebody that the Orioles might sign. But at you this threw point, out a name the other day. Uh, Cole Hamels. Cole but Hamels that was would a, be fun. That, that was a bit of a stretch. I don't think the <laughs> Orioles would pay for Cole Hamels. I think he'll probably still demand a decent salary. Would be real fun, though. But given that the Orioles now have Felix Hernandez and Matt Harvey, who both certainly have the potential to be rotation pitchers, I don't know if they'll sign someone to a major league contract. I think the combination of Hernandez, Harvey, and LeBlanc is a pretty solid three, and I think you can fill out the rest of your starting five with that. So this was a very long way of getting to your question of which of the three makes the rotation. And maybe I'm just optimistic because of the names, but I'm going with Felix Hernandez at the four and Matt Harvey at the five. Okay. I think realistically, Wade LeBlanc probably makes the roster as well and will probably be a spot starter here and there, fill a little bit of a Thomas Eshelman role from 2020, where if they need a starter at some point, then he can kind of fill in. And if not, he can be more of a long reliever. I think LeBlanc probably realistically fills more of that role. But look, I think Felix Hernandez, I, I'm hoping that maybe somebody says, hey, you might need a few more good years to make the Hall of Fame. And Felix Hernandez goes, oh, okay. And then, you know, figure something out and has a few good years. So I think Felix Hernandez four and then Maybe Matt Harvey turns back the clock a little bit, maybe not all the way to 2014, 2015, but maybe even to 2018 when he looked good in the second half of the season and we were seeing glimpses of the Matt Harvey that he used to be. So I think those two make the rotation. It's me being hopeful, but I am basing it off of their potential and hoping that they can get back to being 
even close to the starting pitchers that they were before because Wade LeBlanc really has never shown that dominant, dominant stuff. He's kind of been more consistent over his career, but I'm going with Hernandez and Harvey. You've narrowed it down to two now. I have. If you have to narrow it down to one, let's say one guy of the three of these that you Just think... Just one of them? ...that you think has the the best chance to make the team and then the best chance maybe to be a trade piece. So, like, which which of these three guys do you think has the highest chance to be a July 31st Orioles get a prospect back or two? I think Felix. I think Felix, too. I, yeah. I think Felix just has a, a longer stretch of showing that he was a dominant pitcher. And because of that longer stretch, I think he has a, a much larger possibility of figuring it out. I have more faith in Felix Hernandez figuring it out than Matt Harvey. I think there's a possibility that Felix can figure out how to pitch without his dominant stuff that he had before. And I think there's a pretty good chance that he is dealt at the deadline if he turns out to be pretty good. Matt Harvey, it has been a while since we have seen a decent Matt Harvey. Yeah, it, So I, I just have longer. more faith in Felix. It, it has been longer and the stretch of dominance has been higher. Definitely. Right. Um, has been... He had a higher peak. Yes. Um, he won a Cy Young. Matt Harvey had that great season, but even his, even Harvey's best season was not as good as Felix Hernandez's best right. season. And then you also, you know, think about age is a factor here, though. I'll, Harvey is a little bit younger. I think he turns 32, you know, a few days before opening day. Yeah, so which is crazy because... Yeah. A lot, like we we talked about it when we talked about Felix Hernandez. I mean, thirty two and thirty four respectively is really not an age where you would see pitchers tail off. At least we haven't in recent years. Yeah, Matt Harvey is thirty one and Felix Hernandez is thirty four. We haven't necessarily, but also it, for those pitchers to get up into their mid thirties and still be really good does require one luck in terms of health. I think, yep. which both of these guys have struggled with health. Uh, Matt Harvey more than Felix Hernandez, but also learning how to adjust your game because yeah. both of these guys were more reliant on dominant fastballs earlier on in their career, which most pitchers I would say are, are relying on a, a high velocity fastball, but it takes learning how to pitch with a fastball that isn't quite there, how to learn, how to add pitches every few years, really, how to, and change those off-speed pitches um, and how to pitch with a different arsenal. So it, it, does, it doesn't just happen. You know, it does require luck, and it does require uh, a pitcher being able to mold his game as he gets a little bit older. Um, I agree with you. I, if we had to, to come up with our rotations for the beginning of the season, and we still, first off, Matt Harvey's signing isn't even confirmed yet by the team. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> we're, still, we're looking way ahead here. Um, we'll definitely get more information once... Uh, pitchers and catchers actually work out. We hear from Brandon Hyde, and he starts to give us little bits and pieces of information, and we find out, and then we get games, and we find out who's actually performing well and who's not performing well, and then we find out who makes the team. But for right now, <laughs> on February 16th, let's go ahead and look at what who we think might make the uh, first week of the regular season one, two, three, four, five rotation, and then let's jump ahead to the last week of the regular season. By season's end, September 25th or whatever, who are the five guys in the rotation? Brendan, week one, who's in your rotation? Week one, who's in my rotation? Yeah. I've got... And then jump ahead to week... Uh, week. Wait, how, many, how many weeks is uh, a three Jump ahead a season? whole bunch of weeks. <laughs> uh, so week one, I've got John Means, Dean Kramer, Keegan Aiken, 
Felix Hernandez and Matt Harvey. Uh, I threw Wade LeBlanc in there as kind of a sixth pitch when he needs to long reliever type. So Wade LeBlanc, you can kind of put a Matt Harvey slash Wade LeBlanc in there. I think they'll rotate in that five or six spot. By the end of the year, I am predicting a drastically different rotation. I've got John Means and Dean Kramer, and those are the only two staying. Uh, Keegan Aiken, I think, probably moves to the bullpen. I think Keegan Aiken is solid, and I think he will be an okay starting pitcher. But I don't think, at least my guess, is that by year's end, he won't show enough to slam the door on Michael Bauman and Zach Lather, Lowther and some of those other guys. So I've got Michael Bauman and Zach Lowther, who are two pitchers that a lot of people have talked about, thinking that they will be in the Orioles' starting rotation by the end of the year. And then I've also got Kevin Smith. He's not really talked about too much because he hasn't been in the Orioles organization for a long time. Came over in that Miguel Castro trade from the Mets. Kevin Smith is a really good pitcher. He is pretty much on that level with Zach Lowther, I think. And I'm hoping that by the end of the year, the Orioles give him a chance if somebody like Aiken or Kramer um, isn't pitching up to snuff by the end of the year. I think Felix Hernandez and Matt Harvey, it can go one of two ways. Either Felix Hernandez and Matt Harvey or one or the other pitches really well, in which case they are probably dealt, or they don't pitch really well, in which case you aren't going to keep them in the rotation and block somebody like Bauman, Lowther, or Smith. So I think either both scenarios that I just talked about, Felix Hernandez and Matt Harvey aren't on the Orioles by the end of the year. Here's where we disagree. We have often disagreed on Kevin Smith. We both like we have guy. yes, uh, but I tend to think he is a little bit further away from the bigs than uh, Zach Lowther and also Alexander Wells. I think Alexander Wells uh, has a good chance to start. Uh, although him being in Australia for the entire twenty twenty season really throws a wrench into things. I have no idea how they're going to deal with that. Yeah, they haven't seen him in, up close and personal through no fault of his own and no fault of their own. Um, it's just the fact that he was all the way across the globe for the entire 2020 season. Right. That being said, I do think, uh, in theory, he is closer to the bigs because he spent the entire 2020, 2019 season with double a buoy. Zach Lowther also did the same. Kevin Smith did not have an entire season at double a and also was not in the Orioles system. So right. I think he might take a little bit longer just to get to the big. So I think Alexander Wells, assuming he comes back and he's, everything that he was before the shutdown and assuming the team likes what they see, I could see him getting inserted into the rotation. Yeah. The tough situation with Kevin Smith is like you said, he hasn't been with the Orioles for a while. So they will probably want to evaluate him for a good amount of time in the minor leagues before he's called up. I'm just being hopeful in that scenario because I think if he had stayed with the Mets, and is with the same organization, I think we probably see Kevin Smith debut with the Mets in 2021. But because he switches organizations, that probably complicates things a bit. Yeah. Um, I, in terms of my starting rotation for the beginning of the season, I tend to think, I don't know why, something tells me Wade LeBlanc is going to make the rotation over Matt Harvey. I just think Matt Harvey is just so far away from when he was good. And considering he had really no pressure on him last year, uh, to you know, basically like a, a prove-it contract with the Kansas City Royals, a team that was not good, 
and just had an opportunity both in the rotation and in the bullpen last year and was yeah. not able to make an impact. I'm probably being slightly foolishly optimistic with both right. Felix Hernandez and Matt Harvey in the rotation, but I think in my head I'm just typing it out and I'm going, man, this would be It would fun. be cool. It would, it would be definitely so be cool. And Wade LeBlanc was not, you know, breaking any doors down last year with an 806 right. ERA, but... He was with the team. He was in the clubhouse. He already has a rapport with the coaches and the, the other players. Uh, they like him. He likes them. I can see him making the uh, a spot in the rotation, getting that final fifth spot. Yep. And we're also not counting out necessarily uh, a team or a, a, you know one of these guys being thrown into the bullpen. Although, we're not going to get into it on this episode. We, we're already way too in, far in here. But the bullpen looks pretty good. I was it's just stacked. writing it out on paper. It's it's pretty stacked at this point, which is really nice. Um, it, it it's there are not too many spots open in that rotation, which is a, a nice spot to be in at, at this point, um, or in that bullpen rather, not the rotation. Uh, in terms of the final spot, I'm going to give that to Wade LeBlanc, and then I'm going to go with the John Means, Dean Kramer, Keegan Aiken, Felix Hernandez, same one, two, three, four as you, Brendan. Last week of the regular season, I'm going to go with Means. Kramer, Aiken, I'm going to keep in the rotation. I think there's a chance that maybe ultimately later on in his career, 2021 or 2022, um, he will not be a starter. But I'm going to keep him there for the entire season. And then I'm going to add Michael Bauman. And I'm going to add Zach Lowther. I think Bauman is another guy who, um, you know, he has dominant stuff. Definitely has the potential to be, uh, he's been a fast riser throughout his career. He's a little bit older. I think he's like 26 at this point. I could see him making the rotation and Zach Lowther, same as you. I got him in the rotation by season's end. Well, yeah, those are kind of the two that pretty much everybody has tossed out and said, I think those two are going to be in the starting rotation at some point. Yeah. And we know that Mike Elias is not going to rush these guys, but at the same time, I don't think there's any way that Felix Hernandez or Matt Harvey remains on the team and blocks some of those prospects from coming up to the major league level and being successful. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, there was, we did the same exercise that we did with uh, the ro- the lineup as we now did with the rotation. Yeah. There uh, we go. Let's talk about some spring training storylines, Brendan. Let's do it. Let's get into exciting times. In- exciting times indeed. Uh, these are a lot of storylines that I think we talked about really for most of the offseason, um, but now we are finally going to get some answers over yes. the course of the next couple weeks. What would you say is one of the top storylines coming into Sarasota, Florida this week? Well, I've got a few, and I kind of have them bundled into categories. Uh, the first one, we've talked about Felix Hernandez and Matt Harvey. I think everybody is excited to see how they look in spring training. I mean, these are low-risk, high-reward signings, and I think that if you're an Orioles fan, you are really looking for any sign that those two signings might trend towards the high reward direction. Because if Felix Hernandez or Matt Harvey come into camp and look really good and show flashes of the stuff that they have once had, that's really exciting. And I think you can get excited watching Orioles spring training and seeing those two guys succeed. So that's one storyline I'm looking for. Yeah, um, I would agree with that as well, Brendan. I think... um, you know, we don't have to talk about it too much. We just talked about it a lot, but I think that that is, is going to be one of the more interesting battles. And certainly if there were reporters available at the this entire spring training camp, and it's a shame that we won't be down there and most reporters won't really be getting an up-close and personal look one, until the games start in a few weeks, um, 
we just know that the huddles around Felix Hernandez and Matt Harvey would be massive. Right. You know, it would be huge reporter scrums. We might be getting national reporters coming into Sarasota Ed Smith Stadium complex. Imagine that, that to yeah. interview Matt Harvey about his comeback or Felix Hernandez about um, his late career resurgence and, and how he wants to be a veteran on this team. Um, one other storyline I have for you, Brandon. Mm-hmm. Infield battle. Yeah. Uh, what is this infield going to look like? Technically, on paper, we have just inserted for the past few months Yomer Sanchez into the second base spot. Yeah. Is he going to keep that spot? Is he not viewed as highly by the organization as he might be by some of the people outside the organization where we're just adding him into the starting or into the starting second base spot and assuming he's going to take it and run with it? Maybe he doesn't make the team. He was just a waiver claim. You know, yeah. maybe Jemai Jones impresses in camp coming over in the trade with the Angels. Maybe he steals that second base spot. Maybe Rio Ruiz, his time with the organization is shorter than we might think. And Rio Ruiz is not going to make this team. And Jemai Jones makes it over him. And we move Yolmer Sanchez over to third. There are different machinations to this infield. And because we have not seen Yolmer Sanchez uh, and Jemai Jones on an infield in an infield for the Orioles, we don't yet know how it's going to play out. I'm so glad you mentioned Jemai Jones there, Paul, because that brings me to one of my storylines that I am looking at. I think there is a group of four prospects that is pretty close to the major league level, not quite there yet, but I think spring training will be a pretty good indication of how close they might be to the major league level and how soon we could see them at the major league level. With Newsnail Diaz and Jemai Jones specifically, I think there is a, a non-zero chance that they make the opening day roster. I don't think either of them do. I think they probably debut at least a few weeks into the season, if not a few months. But I think there is a decent chance that either of those two could be on the Orioles' opening day roster. And then the other two I'm looking at are two pitchers that we seem to talk about on every podcast, and that's Zach Lowther and Michael Bauman. How close do they look to Major League ready? I mean, we just mentioned them in our end-of-the-year rotation. We're pretty sure that they will get called up in a few months and have a chance to crack the Orioles' starting rotation. But maybe spring training, again, will be a good indication of how close they are to making that Major League team and how much time they might really need to spend in AAA or, hey, are they closer to the Major League level than you expected? Maybe call them up in a few weeks rather than a few months. Yeah. So I think those four are prospects that I'm looking at and saying, okay, we could see these guys soon and spring training will be a good indication of how soon that might be. And and jumping back to the rotation, because you mentioned it there, you mentioned the young guys. There are a lot of other guys that might be, that we're not even talking about right yeah. now, that might be sneak into that rotation. If both, and there's a chance, I, I don't think it's particularly high, but it, there's a chance that both Felix Hernandez and Matt Harvey kind of bottom out. And even right. Wade LeBlanc kind of bottom out and just are not what they expected. There's also a, a chance, again, I don't know how high, that Keegan Aiken or Dean Kramer, the Orioles are not comfortable with saddling up their workload to start the year, so they give them a little bit of time off. And yeah. they say, you know, because you only pitched X number of innings last year, we want to make sure that you are ramped back up slowly. So let's give other guys a shot in this rotation. Thomas Eshelman, Bruce Zimmerman, Ashton Goudeau. Could those three guys, <laughs> one of those three guys sneak into the rotation? There's or a chance. The Somebody rule, that we're not talking about. The Rule 5 guys. Max that Aroller, we have not talked about. Tyler Wells. Yep. Could either of those guys sneak in? Could the Orioles stash one of those guys into the bullpen, yep. even though they are starters throughout their career, because they want to hold on to them because 
keep him on the roster, and then you keep him after the 2021 season. So there are still guys that we're not even talking about and not are in the top 30 prospects for the Orioles system that might sneak into the rotation. Again, we mentioned it on our, on our last podcast when we got a comment about it. John Means came out of nowhere, had toiled at A for the bulk of his professional career, was thinking about quitting baseball, shows up to spring training in 2019. Wow, that feels like forever ago. Yeah. 2019 and is impressing. And I remember having producing Mass and All Access and having to scramble to make a headshot for this guy because Rock is mentioning him as a burgeoning player in the, the team that, that, that might make the opening day roster. Yeah. Makes the opening day roster. And look, he's an all-star several months later. So there are guys maybe that we're not talking about that might make this team, that might be good on this team, and especially in that rotation, a ton of names. All that, all that Hernandez and Harvey's, their intention uh, you know, is to increase the competition. If they don't make the team, but they increase the competition of the other guys and they show somebody else takes a jump, that's okay as well. That's an okay outcome for these two signings. Yeah, absolutely. There's a few more storylines yeah, that I have. I won't, I won't get into too much depth about them. The first one, though, being we get to see Trey Mancini. Yeah, he's in my list too. That's really cool. We get to see Trey Mancini play baseball after everything that he has gone through. That's going to be awesome. I it mean, is. the first time we see Trey Mancini step on the field at spring training, how much fun is that? That's It's awesome. It really yeah. is. I mean, I'm, I'm just excited to see him take swings again. Yeah. Like, I can't wait to see what he looks like. Um, I'm trying not to, like, place my expectations too high for this guy because, yeah. I mean, he had colon cancer. He had surgery. He was right. out of baseball for an entire year. And for him to show up... At not the just start of, not just out of baseball. I mean, going through chemo yeah, and going through chemo, yeah. um, and to be away from this team uh, during this ridiculous 2020 season, and for him to come back and to show up already several days early, like two weeks earlier than he's supposed supposed to report to the Ed Smith Stadium. That's complex, such a Trey Mancini thing. It is. It is. And I'm I'm just excited to see what he looks like again. I'm trying not to keep my expectations too high for the guy, um, but wow. I mean that it is it's not just one of the best storylines on the Orioles Brendan. I think it's one of the best storylines in baseball right. Oh, now. absolutely. Without a doubt. And no matter where no matter no matter how he looks yeah. in spring training, he, even if he doesn't quite have the power or something like that. Just the fact that we are seeing Trey Mancini back with the Orioles taking at bats, taking grounders wherever he is, I that's just going to be a lot of fun to see yeah. Trey Mancini and kind of going along with Trey Another storyline that I'm going to be looking at is where are guys taking reps? Because we have talked about the very crowded outfield. We have talked about first base, who might DH. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how the Orioles decide to work Ryan Mountcastle in spring training. Does he get a lot of reps in left field? Or does he get more reps at first base? Where do they give Trey Mancini reps? I think he's probably going to get most of his reps at first base rather than right field. But they, they but left we don't really the door. Know. Michael Elias yeah. left that door open, yeah. which was a little bit surprising to me. Yeah. I thought that they were going to kind of rule him out of the outfield from now on. Yeah. Just not, and not necessarily because of his health in return, but because they already have Anthony Santander, Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, Ryan Mountcastle, Yusniel Diaz, Ryan McKenna. Yeah. I didn't think there was going to be any room for him, but they kept that door open. Well, there's... A, a lot more guys that you just named where where are they going to get reps? I mean, yeah. are we going to see Austin Hayes maybe get some more left reps in left field to leave Cedric Mullins room in center? 
Are we going to see DJ Stewart maybe get some time at first base because he doesn't seem very good defensively in a corner outfield? We heard about Rylan Bannon possibly getting reps at catcher. Yeah, how about that? Steve Molesky, get with that great nugget. Steve, of course. I mean, course, what is that? The man when it comes to yeah. minor leaguers. Did an interview with... And, and also, I will say... It was at full instructional camp. It sounds like, the, and Steve even mentions in the article, they still view him as an infielder, okay. first and yeah. foremost. But it was the same thing that we heard about Taron Vavra being tried in the outfield. Yeah. Are they we going to see Vavra in center? Are we going to see Jemai yeah. Jones in center? They were just trying things out. It's yeah, That would be fascinating. Fascinating. The Orioles said, we will play everyone in center field, and you're going to like it. <laughs> you are going to play all over the time. Andy we, Rutschman in center field. All right. There you go. I mean, look. They're going to have to get creative like yeah. Brandon Hyde has done since he took over. You know, look, he's had Hans Alberto in the outfield. So it, it yeah. he's going to get creative. Um, it's But it's also a nice problem to try to maneuver all of these pieces that you want to get playing time, and you kind of have to figure out where yeah. you're going to put them. Well, and, and that's partly, I think, what we were robbed of in some way in the 2020 season was – you know, a 60-game season, you don't get to play around with where these guys are going to be right. for, for the most part. You just get a tiny little sample size. Um, hopefully, there's going to be a full 162, and we get 25 games of, you know, using the ideas, trying it out in center and seeing if he can play that position long-term and maybe a little bit of an extended look at Mountcastle and left. So yeah. this, it, this season, I think... Assuming everything it goes okay health-wise and they're able to play 162 could give us a, a big look. And also the minor league side. You know, yeah. we're, as much of a look as we're going to get at the major league side with a lot of these guys, we're also going to get that look at the minor league side. What if they throw Ryan Rylan Bannon behind the plate at AAA Norfolk in 2021? Whew. They really could. They could. They he's really got could. The, he's, got the, he's bulked up. He's got the build of a catcher. Yeah. Tough position to play. Very. I don't know how you start to learn to call games when you're 24, when you've never really done it since high school. That like is a that is a great question. But why not? Yeah. One final storyline I've got for you, Paul. Sure. DJ Stewart and Rio Ruiz. Yeah. What are they going to look like in spring training? These are two guys that we have talked about at length and have kind of said that they have had their chance at the major league level with the Orioles. I think they need to have a good spring training, and I think they need to come out of the gates hot in the regular season. To If they yeah. continue, if Rio Ruiz is still your opening day third baseman, if DJ Stewart is still getting a lot of playing time in the corner outfield, they really need to take a firm grasp of that opportunity because they have not done so yeah. over the last few years. So I think those two guys probably have a good amount of pressure on them going into spring training because if they don't look good... There are a lot of guys right on their heels that are ready to take over those jobs yeah. from Rio Ruiz and DJ Stewart. I mean, Rio Ruiz last year, great start, then hit a rough patch, um, and ultimately finished hitting 222. Nine yep. homers, um, 713 OPS, actually solid at third, two defensive runs saved, according to fan graphs. Um, not a terrible year, but at this point, they're going to need a little bit more from him. Yes. If he can, if he wants to stick with this team long-term with all the competition that you just mentioned, nipping at his heels, he's going to need a little bit more. And the same goes for DJ Stewart. I mean, he cannot have the, the final few weeks of the season that he had in 2020. That can't repeat itself. We need to see the DJ Stewart that hit seven home runs in like 10 at bats. It, it's prove it time right now for yeah. both of those guys. Which they have is, had their opportunities. Yeah. Which, you know, they're still, we're still early enough in this rebuild where we're not there yet with a lot of guys, 
but those are two guys who um, have been with this team since the beginning of the, uh, you know, DJ Stewart has been with this team for much longer as a first-round draft pick, but Rio Ruiz been with this team since the beginning of the Michael Elias era. era. Now they are entering a, a transition period where they need to prove it because there yep. are prospects on their heels. Exactly. And eventually in a couple of years, we'll get to the point where we're saying that about other prospects of this guy needs to prove it because, you know, Grayson Rodriguez and Deal Hall are coming up in that rotation. They're starting. So competition is going to get uh, hotter and hotter as the years go along. Right. You either fall into the Anthony Santander category where you yeah. are probably too good to be replaced by a prospect at this point, or you fall into the Renato Nunez, Hanser Alberto territory where there's just not room because there are more guys coming up that have more potential and they didn't show enough at the major league level to stick around. Yeah. Speaking of hotter and hotter, boy, do I wish I was... <laughs> Boy, the expression you gave me there. Yeah, that could yeah. have gone any number of ways. Yeah. I was just going to say. I what a way I to start a sentence. Down in Sarasota, but uh, your mind is going elsewhere. Uh, I wish I was down in Sarasota right now. Me too. I mean, where we had this is better like internet. One, yeah. Uh, this is one of the most fun times to be covering the sport of baseball uh, yeah. this time of the year. And it is so fun to be down there. Hopefully, maybe we get down there at some point. Uh, but for now, we will just keep you updated with everything that we hear. Every, everything that we see in terms of video um, that we get from the Orioles and from their side, obviously self, health and safety, excuse me, are the priority with these guys. Yeah. We just want to make sure that they get through a spring training healthy um, and ready to go at full strength by the time uh, they start up at Fenway Park on uh, April 1st. Yeah, safety the priority and, and we don't want to push it. Yeah, so. um, but thanks for tuning in. Um, pitchers and catchers. Morning today, dropping their bags off, giving peace sign to the camera. That's that's about big it. Time. Big yeah. time stuff. But throwing in a bullpen tomorrow. Yes. Um, that's exciting stuff. Um, I'm going to start to adjust my body clock, too, because it's like an early morning yeah. in Sarasota where they start at like 7, and they go into 1 because they're like, ah, oh, let's just... You know, it's it's 99 degrees right now, so let's yeah. call it a day. Have to, have to be awake stroke. for that annual spring training video where it's like, ah, the pop of the baseball yeah. glove. Oh, yeah, huge. That usually is like our our highest engagement tweet yeah. <laughs> of the year because it's the best sound or like the so crack of the like, bat. Ah, yeah. baseball. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, at Brandon Morty is his Twitter handle. That's me. I'm at Paul Mancano. Be sure to follow us, of course, on MassInSports.com and on all of our social channels. Please rate, review, subscribe. Wherever you're listening to this, wherever you're watching this, like, review, share, all that good stuff. Uh, all important. Uh, and we will be with you again next week with a uh, little bit more coverage of spring training. But in the meantime, Brandon Mortensen, I'm Paul Mancano. Thanks so much for tuning in. 